It's wonderful to be together if we haven't met before. My name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And uh, as has already been mentioned today, it's a really significant day for our church because this is the last Sunday where we're gathering with just one Sunday morning gathering. Next week, we're multiplying to two Sunday gatherings, 9.15 and 11.30. It's a big, big step for us, um, but one that you can probably appreciate as you look around. It's a step that we need to take. And over the last few weeks, it's been uh, evident to us that we need to make more room for those that God will add to this family uh, in the years to come. And I recognize that for some, it's also quite a sad moment because it will mean that uh, you won't see everyone that you usually see uh, each and every Sunday. And that's a sadness. And there may, there may even be some who are kind of harking back to a time where we, were, we could all comfortably know one another and it was a lot smaller than it was now. Um, I recognize that. We recognize that as a team. And I want to pray for us in a moment about this because... Uh, it, it is quite a painful thing uh, in some ways, but it's also a very exciting thing because God is doing something uh, in our church and doing something in this uh, town that really, really is, uh, it's not happening everywhere. Let's just put it that way. It's exciting to see what God is doing. And so we want to be praying into this, praying that this will be a very fruitful thing, that actually in the weeks and months and years to come, that many, many people who don't yet know Jesus will come and join us, uh, will come and know Jesus for themselves and be a part of this uh, growing family. I just want to share a couple of practical things before I pray. Uh, just to say, we will kick off at 9.15, okay? So it's, it's not a 9.20 service, it's not a 9.30 service, it's a 9.15 service, okay? And so I really want to urge and encourage you and ask you, if you're planning to come to that service, aim for 9 a.m., you're going to need to sign your kids in if you have kids anyway. But also, uh, we want to create a welcoming, welcoming environment for those who are guests amongst us. And so to get here at nine, we'll be, ex we'll, we'll be able to create that environment for people. Um, I know that next week, probably people will come and be here on time because it's the first week. But it can, it can be easy to drift, can't it? We're just going to have to consider that we're going to get here for nine. And then we're going to kick off promptly at 9.15. 11.30 service people... Uh, we're going to start at 11.30. We're not pushing it back beyond that. We're starting at 11.30. Some of you come at 11.30 anyway. <laughs> right? Let's be, let's be honest here. So if that's you, forget what I've just said. We're not changing anything, all right? <laughs> just, just come at the normal time. And, uh, and we'll look forward to having you with us. But listen, this is, a, this is a big step for us. I would love it if all of us, if you consider Hope Church your home, whether you've come into membership formally or not, whether you're on that, on that path, um, let's be on the lookout for people we don't recognize. It's not a bad thing to go up to someone and say, hey, I don't think we've met before. Are you new here? And they turn around to you and say, I'm actually one of the leaders here. Or, or, or you know, That's okay. It's all right. I don't have that problem because I do know who the leaders are here. But I do speak to people sometimes. and They say, yeah, I've been coming for a year. And that's okay. But well, let's be on the lookout for those that maybe look new, maybe look uh, like they're not familiar with the place, and let's bring uh, a really big welcome to them. Uh, I think that's such an important thing. One more thing practically to say is that some of you have asked in recent days, I I've said I'm going to go to the 9.15, I've changed my mind, or vice versa. You can change your mind, that's all right. You're not locked in. But we would like it if you could 
you know, once you're, you're established which one you're going to come to, to really make that your kind of your, the main service that you come to. Occasionally, for whatever reason, you might switch it up, um, but please stick to a service so that you can build friendship with people week in, week out. Uh, such an important thing. And one, one final thing to say is that uh, after the first service, the 9.15 service, at about 11.05, if you haven't already made your way home, we will be sort of ushering you on because we need to create uh, space for car parking and for the next service people to come on in. So that's going to be a challenge, but we would love for you just to kind of you know, make that space for the next people who are coming uh, after that. But can, can I ask us, I know we've just kind of been standing up and sitting down quite a lot. Can I ask us to stand? So I'd like us to pray just for these weeks to come, and maybe we'll have more time to pray at the end as well. But Father, let's just, let's just come before God together. He's with us. Father, we thank you for the amazing thing that you're doing in our church. We thank you for the amazing thing you're doing in our town. Lord, we don't take it for granted. And we thank you for the people that you've brought to us in the recent years, people who have come to faith in you, people who have moved to the area. Lord God, you're doing something extraordinary here, and we're looking to you in the weeks and months to come. We need your help, Lord. Uh, we need your strength. Father, we ask that you would cause us to be increasingly fruitful as we stay near to you, as we keep being prayerful, as we keep uh, longing to see your kingdom advance here. We pray for all the practicalities, pray for all the teams, Lord God. Would there be many more stepping up and saying, yes, I want to serve and be a part of this. And Lord, I pray that for those that are struggling with this, are finding this something quite hard and painful, that you would be their comforter, that you'd be their peace, even now. And Lord God, that in the weeks and months to come, there'll be much rejoicing at what you do. We thank you for the 30 or so people that got baptized last year. We pray again for that, Lord, this year. Many, many people ushered into your kingdom. Let it be that we see it and celebrate it this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your seats, folks. And if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews is uh, in the New Testament. It's right towards the end of the Bible. And we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's one of the very few books in the Bible. We're not sure who wrote it. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews is writing uh, to some churches and some Christians that are feeling the pressure. They're feeling pressure to um, kind of go back to their old life. Some of them will have been saved from a Jewish background. And uh, they're kind of now being ostracized on account of their Christian faith. They're kind of like, they're, they're, they're not in the in crowd, they're being mocked. Some of them may be knowing more persecution than that, and they're feeling pressure to kind of go back. They're weary. They're weary. They're thinking, oh, it would be easier to just not stand out as I do now. It would be easier just to kind of go back to being one of the crowd, as it were. They're a weary church. In fact, you can uh, see in various places in Hebrews that the, the writer is saying, you have need of patient endurance. That's what he says in Hebrews 10, 36. You, you, need to, you need to endure. And today we're going to be considering endurance, the way to endure. You know, because we, we might be excited about what's coming up in the weeks and months to come as a church, about all the multiplication that's ahead of us and the good things. But the reality is, for many of you, for many of us, we're in a place where sometimes it's it's an endurance thing. We don't, you know, we don't find it easy. And Paul writes to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. 
There'll be very difficult times. Now, I don't pretend to know that I, you know, the last days are you know, going to be in weeks or months to come. Jesus is going to return. I don't have that knowledge. It could be very soon. It could be hundreds of years from now. I don't know. But we are in some, in some ways in the last days. And it, listen, it's not going to get easier to be a Christian. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian in this country. We are not knowing, praise God, we're not knowing the kind of persecution that many millions of Christians are experiencing the world over. We don't know the risk of death for, for standing for Jesus. But we might be knowing some sense of being ostracized, uh, being mocked, being ridiculed, being uh, labeled as bigoted or delusional, whatever it might be. We might know something of that. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian. And even if we're not knowing that, the reality is we are all in a battle. The moment you become a Christian, listen, I want you to know this, becoming a Christian is the best decision that I ever made. Becoming a Christian is the best decision that hundreds of people here is the best decision they ever made. But when you come to know Jesus, there's so much glorious uh, things to know when you walk with Jesus. But you are also entering into a battle where you are opposed by an enemy Satan who wants to uh, discourage you, who wants to drag you down, who wants to bring pressure to you so that you might, like these Hebrews people, might feel like actually it would be easier to jack it all in. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. It will be easier. I'm here by the skin of my teeth, you might be thinking. I'm here just because someone said, are you coming? And I didn't have the heart to say, no, I'm not going to go. And it might be, for some of you, you're thinking, it's just, it will be easier just to, to give up. It would be easier to go back to the way I used to live my life. It would be easier if I didn't uh, walk with Jesus. It's not going to get easier in many ways to be a Christian in this country. We're always going to be opposed in some ways by our enemy, the devil, and we're going to be hard-pressed on every side. And I don't say all this so that we might have self-pity, but so that we understand that actually this life is sometimes one in which we just have to endure. That we actually have to, to, uh, to brace ourselves for that. That doesn't sound like a very cheery message, does it? On this kind of last Sunday before we go to two services... It's not a very kind of encouraging, kind of, you wanted to come for a kind of a motivating pep talk today. I'm telling you, it's going to be hard. It's going to, you're going to need to endure. There's going to be some things that you need to, uh, to, to go through, through many hardships. We will enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said it. <laughs> and so we need to endure. And I want to share some things here that the writer of the Hebrews unpacks that are key to endurance. So he's writing to these folks, he's sensing a drifting, he's sensing a weariness, he's sensing that they might be losing heart. That's what we read in, in chapter 12. He doesn't want to lose heart, doesn't want them to grow weary. And he's writing to them and he's sharing glorious truths about Jesus. And the whole of Hebrews is just this kind of unpacking of some really rich truths about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And then he comes to some conclusions really in chapter 10. This is what we're going to read, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the short time we have remaining, we're going to unpack three key headings here. First is draw near, second is hold up, sorry, hold fast, and the third is stir up. Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. The first key to endurance is to draw near to God. The writer to the Hebrews repeats this phrase for, some might say, five times in the book of Hebrews. There's a, an, an exhortation to draw near to God. He's really keen that the church there understand their inheritance, what belongs to them, which is that they have access to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He wants them to understand that wonderful truth that we've even sung this morning, that the heavens are open wide for those who have faith in Jesus, that we can come and draw near to God with confidence, not in our own uh, effort, not in the way we've performed in a particular week, but because of the finished work of Jesus. And this is a key to endurance, to draw near to God, to come and walk with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. Do you understand that, friends, that your inheritance is that you can know friendship with God? You can know him as your father. You have full access to him, and you're not just uh, acceptable to him because of Jesus. You've been adopted. He's taken you on. He's saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. And, And you're in Christ. You are totally wrapped up in him. So it's never going to change. It's not going to change from one day to the next because of your you know, poor performance. It's not going to be that one day God says, well, you did pretty well yesterday and you were my son yesterday, but today you're not doing so well. So maybe I'm not actually that interested. No, we're wrapped up in Jesus. And so we get to come with confidence before God. And this is a key to uh, endurance, that there's a, a new way that's been made open for us. We read just a few verses before this, the old covenant way, the way that the Old Testament, uh, kind of uh, how people approach God in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, where we read this in verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Listen to this next verse. This will change your life if you take it into your hearts. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you understand that? Has it got into your heart that by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, you, by faith in him, have been made perfect forever. You stand righteous before God, and it's not of your own works. And now you're being made holy. you, you You are becoming what you already are. You're perfect before God. You're righteous before God. You can come with confidence. 
And now, day by day, week by week, month by month, he's changing you and shaping you, making you more and more like Jesus. That's what the Christian life is. It gives us confidence to draw near, to come and pour out our hearts to him. We can draw near with a full, full assurance that faith brings. And it says here that we can come with a, with a heart that's kind of open to him. It says here, with a true heart. With a true heart. It means we can pour out our, our hearts to God. That we don't have to kind of um, think, I don't know if God can take that today. I don't know if he can really take what's going on within. No, you can actually pour your heart out to God and what's really going on in your heart to God. You can speak to him. Pour your heart out to him. This is such an important thing to grasp. God's not like, How? hang on a minute, you can't, you can't share that with me. I'm not interested in that. No, no, he wants you to bring it to him. And, and so often we've got stuff going on in our hearts that is kind of festering that we don't bring to God because we think, I can't bring it to him. But actually he wants us to, to draw near and ha- have a true heart before him. This is a key to endurance, friends. To know that every day you can draw near to God with full assurance and that you can share with him what's going on in your heart. It's a key to endurance. If you don't have that key, you're not going to endure. Second key we see here is holding fast. Holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Hope is not just a nice name for a church. It's something that we cannot live without. You cannot live without hope. You were made to be excited by hope. You were made for that. We need it. We need something to be excited about. Otherwise, we we become depressed and all the enthusiasm for life drains away. I remember uh, a few Christmases ago, I was speaking to one of my daughters uh, it was like the 2nd of January or something, which is like, it's a pretty depressing day, isn't it? The 2nd of January. Everything's been and gone. And she said to me, Dad, what do we have to look forward to now? <laughs> and I was, trying to, I was like desperately trying to think of something. I was like, well, we might snow. It might snow. It never does, but it might snow. It's your brother's birthday coming up. It wasn't very exciting for her. We, 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 we're made to, to look forward to something and to be excited by something. We can't live without hope. We lose that, our heads go down, and we, lose, we just lose all of the kind of energy that we're supposed to have. And listen, in this life, as we go forward, as we walk in through life, there's going to be various ropes of hope offered to you by the world. <laughs> there will come ropes of hope this year when... Political leaders will say, okay, it's been bad for these years, but our party, if you really put your hope in our party, and, and we're going to really fulfill everything that you dream of for this nation. It's going to happen in this country. It's going to happen in the States. There's going to be big promises made. And there's going to be people thinking, if I just get that person in power, then finally my hopes are going to be met. We're offered ropes of hope in our finances if you just get security, if you just save up enough, if you just have these things, then you can really know uh, assurance in life. And then just one decision from a politician or one uh, war in another side of the world can cause all of our financial hope to, see it to, to be seen as very, very 
uh, insecure and very unstable. One decision from a boss who says, I've got to make some cuts. It can all be very unstable. Put your hope in, there I go there, put your hope in a football team and it gets dashed. We're going to put our hope this summer probably in the England team, in the Euros, and they'll probably get beaten on penalties again. There's, there's ropes of hope being offered out that aren't really attached to something secure. But we have a hope in something that is sure and certain. That Jesus Christ won the victory and that he will return. That's our hope. That's the hope that we, we hold on to. That he who has promised is faithful. He said, I'm going to come back. And he who promised that is faithful. He will. And so our, our eyes are fixed on a particular day. It says, all the more as you see the day approaching. The New Testament Christians, the early believers, they, they, they had their minds fixed on a day. They, they expected Jesus to return very, very soon. Friends, might we be those that expect him to return very, very soon? That our hearts are not uh, kind of, we're not pinning our hopes on something uh, that isn't really going to be certain and sure. But actually, we're pinning our hopes on something that is sure and certain. The day of the Lord. That phrase is repeated dozens of times in the, in the scriptures. A day when Jesus will return. A day when he will make all things right. There will be true justice. He will make all things new. Where there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a physical earth on which those who have placed their faith in Jesus will live in renewed bodies that no longer have joint pain, that no longer know depression, that no longer know all kinds of ailments, but will have renewed bodies and will live in a physical earth and there will see Jesus face to face and there will enjoy him and there there will even be work for us to do. Doesn't sound good, does it? But actually work was there before mankind fell and it was good. There'll be places for us to explore. There'll be wine for us to drink. Some of you are really happy about that. There'll be great food for us to eat. This is, we've got to have a, a right understanding of eternity. Otherwise, we think, I'm not really bothered about that. Because you think it's all clouds and playing harps. And not many of you are harp enthusiasts here. But there is actually a, a reality awaiting us that we've got to fix our hope on. We've got to hold unswervingly to the day of Jesus returning and, and focus our hearts and minds on that and rehearse it and, and dream of it. I'm often dreaming of what the new creation is going to be like. There's not loads to go on, but there is stuff to go on in the scripture. We can allow our minds to go there. We can allow our minds to dream about that. I'm excited about eternity. I'm excited about all that's going to entail. We've got to hold on to that promise. Death will be swallowed up forever. There'll be no more tears. No more. No more sin and regret. Let's rehearse that hope. In Romans chapter 5, we heard that read out in our prayer meeting before the service, where it says, I boast, we boast in the hope of glory. <laughs> Is that a reality for us? Or have we kind of lost sight of that a little bit? You see, it's possible for our expectation and our excitement of the the, the eternity that awaits us, it's possible for that to be dulled by comfort and material things now. It's possible for that to be dulled. It's possible for us to lose excitement about those things because we've got things pretty comfortable here. Are we holding unswervingly to the hope we profess in Jesus' return, in that day that he will come again? 
Let's actively think of that day. Let's keep our, our lamps burning, friends. Jesus told a parable about a master going away to a wedding banquet and coming back and his servants staying up ready for him to return so that when he knocks on the door, they'll be able to open it up for him. Keep your lamps burning, friends, with hope. Don't fall asleep. Don't get lulled by the world's false hopes. Let's keep our lamps burning. That's how we endure. Finally, to stir one another up, and I really want to major on this. Consider how you may stir one another up to love and good deeds. Consider this. This is for everyone here. This is not just for the elders or pastors of the church to consider how can we stir people up in our preaching or in our visiting. How we can stir one another up, we've got to consider that. This is for all of us. And this is fundamental to the way we see pastoral care at Hope Church. That actually we are one anothering that we are stirring one another up, that we are pointing people to the hope that is in this glorious gospel, in this good news, that we're pointing people's hearts and minds to Jesus and what he's done and what he will do, that it's actually our, all of us. It's not just the role of some people, but it's the role of all of us. That's fundamental. So if you're coming into this church and wondering, how does it all work here? Yes, we have a pastoral care team. We have a team of elders or pastors. We use those words to mean the same thing but we also one another each other. <laughs> we care for one another. We point one another to the good news. We, we stir one another up. That is a fundamental thing for us. And there's an urgency here, isn't there? All the more as you see the day approaching, and all the more, that means we've got to be increasing in our stirring up of one another. Hebrews chapter 3, uh, which um, I haven't read, but Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's an urgency here. What day is it today? Yes, it's Sunday, but it's also called today. <laughs> so we've got to encourage one another so that we don't get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're being lied to all the time, being deceived, tricked. That's probably a better way of considering this. There's things that we are being sold that will deceive us unless we are provoking and encouraging one another. There's so much power in encouragement. The word to encourage in the original language of this letter, which would have been Greek, is parakaline. I don't know if I've butchered the pronunciation of that, but it's para means to come alongside of, and the kaleo bit is to call forth. So it's the kind of word that would be used to describe a general coming alongside his soldiers and saying, we're going to win this battle. Come on, let's go. Let's go forward. There's a kind of calling forth. This is the role we're to play for one another, friends. Maybe you haven't considered yourself as like Braveheart or you know, Maximus, whatever his name is, from Gladiator. Maybe you haven't considered yourself a great general, but this is for all of us to come alongside people and encourage and stir them up and push them forwards. This is the role of every, every single Christian. Encouragement is powerful. Just as, just as adrenaline kind of um, stirs up the body, so encouragement stirs up the soul. It's very powerful. Encouragement is a, is a really powerful thing. If only we understood what potential might be released through encouragement if only we understood what potential lies in this room. We've seen some incredible things happening in these last 10 years or so. 
We've seen God do amazing things. What more might be around the corner for us? I don't know. But there's an enormous amount of potential in this room. But some of that potential has got to be called out and called forth by your encouragement. By my encouragement, yes, but by your encouragement, all the more. So many of us are exhausted. So many of us exhausted by our... We're sometimes our own worst critics, aren't we? Sometimes we've got voices of other people criticizing, pulling us down, maybe parents, maybe uh, colleagues, maybe friends, uh, who are just criticizing, calling us uh, into negativity. Some people are fed up, as I said, of just close to giving up, fed up of living in a, in a very cynical world. We've got no idea how some very simple words of encouragement could actually change someone's trajectory, could actually do something profound in someone's life. So we've got to encourage one another. What is the content of our encouragement? Well, firstly, I think it's the gospel. I think we've got to share, we've got to be those that remind each other of the good news. We've got to be those that are, are, are so celebrating it for ourselves that we want to share it again with one another. Even those that already know Jesus, we've got to be sharing the gospel with one another. All that Jesus is, all that he's done, all that he's going to do, that's the number one, the content of our encouragement. Secondly, I think it's just sometimes just saying what you see. <laughs> so recently I was just chatting to someone and I felt stirred. I wanted to encourage them that the, the, the presence they bring in a room is really, really uh, positive. That sounds a bit airy-fairy, doesn't it? But I just said to them, listen, what you carry is really special. And you really do bring a breath of fresh air to our church. I said that to this person. And they were encouraged. And I meant it. And that is a, that's an encouraging thing for someone who I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know what they're going through. But it might be just saying what you see. Thirdly, it might be you actually spend some time uh, praying and listening to God and saying, God, I want to encourage someone. What might you want to say to them? And he might give you a prophetic word, might just lay something on your heart, maybe just a very simple thing. might be a scripture that he'll point out to you and say, this is what they, they need to hear. But this is the way in which we encourage one another and strengthen one another so that we might not fall into despair, so that we might endure and keep going forward. But in order to do this, we actually need to see each other. We need to be in each other's lives. And this is the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making. Don't forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Some have believed the lie of the enemy. I don't really need this. I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be in life group. I don't need other Christians around me. And that's a lie. The, the devil's goal, this is what uh, John Mark Comer, who's a, a writer in uh, the States, says, the devil's goal is to first isolate us and then implant in our minds deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires, which we feel comfortable with because they are normalized by the status quo of our society. Specifically, he lies about who God is, who we are, and what the good life is with an aim to undermine our trust in God's love and wisdom. His intent is to get us to seize autonomy from God and redefine good and evil for ourselves, thereby leading to the ruin of our souls and society. He wants to isolate us so that we're trying to do this on our own. Listen, in, in, the, in the last days, <laughs> Lone Ranger Christians are going to drop like flies. They're going to drop like flies. You think you're going to do this on your own? You're going to drop like flies. It's what's going to happen. We need people around us speaking encouragement 
into one another's lives. We don't know what people are dealing with. We've got no idea what they might be going through, what they might be, the battles they might be facing. The encouragement we bring might change someone's trajectory. And it might be that in the years to come, we see, wow, they're absolutely flying now. And they might be able to say, yes, it was because you spoke into my life. That just in someone's lounge at Life Group, or just over coffee in the coffee area, you said something to me, and it changed my mind on something. And this is why, friends, we don't consider, when we're thinking about life groups, we don't think, well, I'm not really going to get much out of that. Or when we come to church, we don't think, oh, I've, I've heard it's on this today, I'm not really going to get much out of that. That's not our consideration. Our consideration is, how can I come and stir people up to love and good works? How can I come and bring encouragement? So, friends, there's still time to sign up to life groups this term. There's still time to do that. If you're thinking, actually, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm kind of isolated. I'm trying to do this on my own. There's still time to do that. It's not about what we might receive. It's actually, what can I bring? What encouragement can I bring in the lives of others? Endurance is going to be needed, friends. We're going to need to be those that draw near to God. We're going to be those that need to hold fast to the hope that we profess. Our number one hope, the only hope, is Jesus' sure and certain return. It's not political leaders. It's not things turning around for us. You know, next year, I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's, it's Jesus. We've got to hold fast to that hope. We've got to be those that stir up one another, who encourage one another. So many of you, you can trace back some things in your life to moments where someone just spoke some truth to you and they built, they built you up. The New Testament writers, again and again, they bang on about building one another up, encouraging one another. I love that uh, what it says, if I can find it now, in Proverbs... It says, the tongue of the righteous nourishes many. Do you want that to be the case for your mouth? Do you want that to be the case for your words? That you might nourish many? That you may build up many? Do you want that for your life? It's possible, friends. We've got all we need to do that. I want to just finish by speaking about friendship very briefly. One of the things that I pray for most for this church is for you to know good friendship. Listen, you don't need to know someone well to encourage them. That's, you can do that without knowing someone really, really well. You can do that. But we, we need to have friendship. And um, some of you may have been in churches before where you know, there was 50 people and you knew everyone and everyone knew you. And that's beautiful. We're not tied to a model here. We're not saying big church is good. And No, no, not at all. But you might have some expectations where you think, I don't, I don't know many people here. And it's not the same as what I've known before. I want for you, I pray for you, that you will have some good friends. It may not be 50, it may not be 100, but we all need friendship. And I pray that for you. And I want to encourage you to pray that for yourself. You know, you can come to God and say, God, please can I have some friends? <laughs> How often do we think that... We can't do that. That's ridiculous. We can say to God, I want some friends. Please give me two, three good friends who know what's going on in my life. You know, Friends, the, the TV program, you know, funny, you know, much-loved show by so many, it may have given us some unrealistic expectations about friendship, <laughs> that we're all going to live together in, in a nice flat and see each other all the time and you know, be there for each other every single moment. That might be a bit unrealistic. 
but we can still know good friendship. And I, I just want to encourage you, pray for that for yourself. And you're going to need to take some risks. I've noticed a bit of risk aversion, actually, when it comes to dating um, amongst the younger generation. I've noticed a bit of a risk aversion where maybe through fear of rejection or fear of putting a foot wrong, guys might say, I'm not going to pursue a woman because what if, I, what, if I make a, what if I make a blunder here? Listen, you've got to take a risk. And the same is true about friendship. You've got to take a risk <laughs> and say, hey, can we hang out? It's, it's such an important thing. And I, maybe you pray that, maybe you get that be your prayer for the next few months. And pray and step out and take risks. Say, hey, why don't we hang out? I'd love to get to know you better. We need friendships, friends, if we're going to endure in this life. But ultimately, friends, our hope is in the one who endured for us. I just want to read these verses from Hebrews chapter 12. I wonder if the band could be ready to lead us in a song. We're going to have time for that. So this is what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance. It might say in your version, endurance. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What we're going to do, friends, is we're going to, we're going to rejoice in the one who endured for us. We're going to worship him together, and then we're going to take communion together after we've sung. There's, uh, on the seats around you, there's uh, little pots with uh, a bit of bread and some juice in that. That's non-alcoholic juice. We know that would be helpful for many people here to not have alcoholic juice. This is a meal that Jesus gave for his followers to enjoy and to remember him by, to set our hearts and minds on him again. So if you're not a Christian here, we just say at this moment, just when that happens, when people are starting to partake of that, just observe Think, of, think deeply of these things, but this is for those who are believers here. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing, and then we're going to take communion. Jesus, we look to you now, the one who endured for us. We look to you, Lord Jesus, and we say, we fix our eyes on you afresh. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross scorning its shame. Lord Jesus, and you said it is finished on the cross. Lord, all the work necessary for our salvation, you did it. And Lord, and then you sat down at the right hand of God. Job done. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in your finished work this morning. We look to you and we say, Lord, we want to be those that endure in this life. We want to be those that uh, hold on to this hope of your return, who stir one another up, Lord. We want to be those that draw near to you day by day, bringing to you our hearts. Lord Jesus, we're looking to you. We rejoice in you. We celebrate you, our King, our great champion, the one who has done it. We love you, Lord Jesus. Why don't you just where you are, just tell him, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. 
I love you, Lord. You've done it for me. I worship you. I celebrate you. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.